Welcome to the You Should Know This podcast by BCC Research. Our podcast features innovative companies and individuals who are working to shape, disrupt, and revolutionize not only their own industries, but also the way we'll live and work in the future. Each week, we talk to visionaries whose work is something you should definitely know about. Now, here's your host, Clara Mowit. Hello and welcome back. I'm your host, Clara Mawad, and as a content specialist for BCC Research, I'm excited to bring you along as we talk to the companies and individuals who are leading us into the future. Circling back to the world of tech transfer, today we're going to take a deeper dive into the specifics of how to forge relationships in the age of COVID-19 and centering tech transfer as a crucial part of creating a healthier world. And to do that, I'm thrilled to have with me today's guest, Kat Donaldson. Kat is the Chief Development Officer at Cold Spring Harbor Lab, a research institution with programs that focus on everything from neuroscience and genomics to plant biology and quantitative biology. It is safe to say that Kat knows a few things about partnership development as well as seeing innovative ideas come to life. Kat, welcome to the show. Hi, Clara. Thanks so much for having me. Now, the first question I love to ask all of my guests is, can you tell us a bit about yourself and how you ended up working in this industry? Sure. So I, um, good question, because I kind of ended up in this industry serendipitously. Um, My background is in science. I'm a scientist by training. Um, And I left the lab bench um, originally driven by science communication, really. Um, So originally I moved into a philanthropic development role. Um, And then honestly, it was through that capacity that I started building my industry network to the extent that it was kind of silly that I wasn't involved in tech transfer. Um, But it, it gives me an interesting perspective because I'd say that that path that I took to get into more of a tech transfer role and capacity Um, It makes my perspective on tech transfer a little atypical and not quite kind of the traditional um, perspective that that I see um, in other tech transfer professionals. Um, Also, my current role, I actually operate across all of development for my institution. So um, like my interests, my metrics aren't just deal flow and licensing and sponsored research agreements. Um, So my perspective is a little broader. And I think I also have benefited from learning some of the more traditional old school development skills um, and approaches that aren't, I think, so commonplace in, in tech transfer training and tech transfer offices. And it's that perspective exactly that, I, that I'm really excited to kind of uh, get in, dive into a bit more because especially right now, given COVID-19, everything in all industries are really, is shifting. Mm-hmm. Um, and tech transfer is about flexibility. I mean, it's mm-hmm. about really seeing innovative concepts and ideas and nurturing them and then seeing them come to fruition. So um, one of the ways that that really happens is through you know, forging partnerships within within the industry and within universities. Can you speak to how COVID has really impacted the way that your program has been able to do those things? Yeah, so I mean, I, I should preface by pointing out that um, Cold Spring Harbor Lab does sit a little outside of New York City. Um, 
and what I've seen talking to other um, tech transfer offices and, and people in that world in our area is that the impact of COVID does seem to be highly dependent on your geography and really uh, practical limitations of space and shutdown time. Um, so we've been very lucky um, over the past few months compared to our peer institutions in the city because we're, we're a little bit outside of the city. We have the structure of our campus gives us a little more space, so our research operations were able to pick up, I think, fairly quickly compared to um, to our peers in the city. So we're very lucky in that respect. Um, but kind of bigger picture, I think for us, um, the immediate pivot and response to COVID-19 was um, pivoting our research projects to address the pandemic and address the disease. Um, and for those specific projects, um, the pace of collaboration and um, interaction with industry and with other academic institutions, in fact, has been really unprecedented and quite um, inspiring. Um, I think the natural urgency of the situation, the fact that everyone's goals were very aligned um, and everyone's timelines were very aligned um, has meant that things could have been able to really move forward um, very quickly and very um, synchronously, which has been fantastic. I mean, that has not been so much the case on non-COVID projects. I'd say pre-existing relationships um, that date back to last year have been able to move along. But I think new outreach and engagement we've been able to do successfully, um, getting traction kind of within new companies to, to get uh, deal flow going has been slowed down, but only because I think there's been so much activity around the COVID-specific project. So I think long-term, um, there will be a trickle-down effect of what we've seen in the past few months um, when uh, older priorities uh, come back to the forefront in terms of company directives. Um, I think now that we all see on every side what is possible in terms of efficiency, and I think there'll be a trickle-down effect in the long run. And, and I think that academic industry partnerships and interactions will improve vastly. The other side of my job is kind of the philanthropic fundraising and capital raising. Um, and we we see a little bit of the sentiment is clearer there and I guess more articulated there that if work is not directed to COVID, then it's not going to get attention. It's tone deaf. Um, there's such urgent need elsewhere in terms of resourcing. And I think that in industries having to respond to that kind of more general broad sentiment in terms of where they um, where they invest their resources and and where they invest their time but I think that's all short term I think that's an acute issue uh, that we have to be sensitive to um, and cognizant of but I think long term it's I think it's it bodes well for moving forward. And would you say, it's like you mentioned earlier, um, you know, with such a united goal, it can definitely be easier to for those collaborations to occur. Yeah. Um, and you just mentioned that on some of the non-COVID related either problems or projects, uh, things have kind of been slowing down. There's not as many resources or funding being allocated to that. Do you see the fact that there is less resources and funding as maybe a motivator to continue these ongoing uh, collaborations and relationships that might otherwise not have occurred, maybe universities or tech transfer offices kind of combining efforts? Um, I mean, we, we always see a lot, you know, power in numbers. Um, and I, we see a lot of 
it's easier to get traction when we have some kind of consortium effort. Um, so we, we've seen that, especially we have a really nice example of uh, a program of work that uh, one of our scientists spearheaded an academic industrial consortium around this kind of therapeutic intervention for COVID. And it's been an international consortium with weekly meetings and everyone, everyone calls in and this kind of thing, I think, um, yeah, that's the, that's what I mean when I talk about um, seeing these unprecedented behaviors in people. Um, I, I do want to backtrack a little bit because while I, I say there's, um, I think that there's pressure on industry to at least publicly focus their resources on current affairs, right? And to focus their resources on COVID. Um, So we we feel that, uh, we feel the tail end of that a bit. But I want to stress that actually there's the the resourcing for, um, for example, for capital raises is huge right now. So... Um, we're looking more at, um, you know, spinning out companies, starting up companies and those kind of activities rather than partnering with industry so much in kind of the, the traditional sponsored research agreement, um, because that's where there, there is a lot of money out there and resources are not slim. Um, so it's just a matter of kind of pivoting your approach and how you structure your your projects internally to, to reflect what's going on in the bigger, broader world. Got it. Okay. And so speaking of making those connections, either with other TTOs or really creating these startups, I know a lot of a lot of things have moved on to the, you know, digitally have transferred over to the online space, at least for the current moment. How, what, what are a few challenges when it comes to forging relationships or collaborations that you've faced? And what are maybe some benefits? So I actually feel very strongly that there's been huge upsides in moving digitally and moving uh, virtually. Um, I mean, if you think think outside of work, right? This is how we communicate with our friends and our family. Um, I'm, I'm not from this, my family's in a, a different country, right? So I, we're all very used to, to engaging with people on a deep level um, virtually. So why should it be any different for our professional relationships? So I think that um, I think there's not really a, a challenge that we would have expected if if you told all of us a year ago that we wouldn't be able to meet anyone in person. And certainly when when the restrictions first started, everyone panicked. But I, I think it's been unwarranted from what I've seen. And actually, it's a really great opportunity because um, people are more available. The efficiency has gone through the roof. People are available. They're not traveling. They're, they're both practically more available for scheduling, but they're also, um, they have more time and energy to put to things like mentally more available. Um, so, you know, we want to engage these various stakeholders and pull them together for a meeting. We can do that next week. Whereas if you're previously, we would have been pushing for an in-person meeting because we assumed that was what we had to do. And it would be a month, two months in the future. And and still, we probably wouldn't have had all the stakeholders at the table that we wanted. Um, So we've seen a lot of upsides to to moving virtually. And I think that not just tech transfer offices, but across our organization and all organizations, I think we have to be creative and not be afraid of 
of engaging virtually. I mean, this is the way that we're interacting is professionally has fundamentally changed forever. I don't think people are going to go back to modalities that we had before. Um, so long term, I think it will benefit um, all professionals to be on the leading edge of that and figure out how to to do this virtual engagement and, and do it really, really well. Right. Because, I mean, it's like you said, with that much more efficiency, there's just so many more possibilities because everything is just a little bit more streamlined. So many. So speaking of seeing kind of this more efficient method moving forward, and really there's a lot of innovations coming out of different tech transfer offices and different institutions focused on COVID. Um, What are maybe a few that you're really excited about? Hmm. Let me think. COVID specific ones or things in the health related field that maybe were sparked due to COVID. Okay. Um, so the kinds of things that I get excited about, um, it goes back to what I was, um, referencing before about there being a huge amount of, um, capital available now to these big, big, bold startup companies. So, I think, you know, these big blue skies visions in biomedicine that weren't kind of tractable before, um, you know, kind of paradigm shifting in their field rather than these kind of smaller piecemeal, more traditional um, activities that we focused on previously. There's so much appetite for that right now. And I think it's a combination of factors that causes that appetite. But whatever it is, there's a lot of appetite for that. And there are resources available to to enable these visions. Um, And so executing those and getting those off the ground, that's incredibly exciting and potentially transformative to how we do medicine. Um, So I'd say that, I mean, which is a very general (laughs) answer, but that class of um, deal flow, I think. Definitely. And that kind of leads me into my next question, which is tech transfer has always been really important in, I mean, there's so many amazing startups that really come out of them. Um, A lot of businesses that have unique ways of handling different problems, especially within uh, the medical and healthcare industry. How would you say the, with the way that things have been handled with COVID with so many new innovations and collaborations, how do you think that this is going to impact tech transfer as far as solidifying itself as a crucial part of creating a healthier world? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think the, as you say, the appreciation is is growing for academic research and academic innovation. And I think people are seeing more and more the value of um, long-term investment in basic research and that that positions the world well to respond to crises. Um, because we can't always predict what those are going to be. Um, and this is something that I see very clearly through my you know, more philanthropic development role. But people value discovery and science and research now more than ever. Um, so I think tech transfer really positioning themselves and, and um, you know, maybe it's like a, a marketing campaign, but positioning tech transfer is that conduit through which you can get those innovations to the real world. Um, I think, I think is very important now more than ever. And keeping that in mind, um, 
what would you say are maybe one or two tips that would help tech transfer offices um, ensure their position moving forward post-COVID, um, either when it comes to building those relationships to really help you know, nurture those ideas or just um, with the new shifting into the digital world? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that as ideas are getting kind of bigger and, and bolder and more collaborative, I think tech transfer offices... Um, would be well placed to take more of a, an institutional view on on their work um, and think more how to put this um, more collectively, more um, broadly on how they can kind of package deals such that they answer institutional needs and they're enabling on a really institutional level. Um, rather than kind of project by project, um, because obviously that's far more efficient and and it's efficient internally. It's also compelling externally, um, and it it's much more impactful in the long run. Um, obviously, it requires more resources, but as I've said, they're there for the right projects. So I think taking more of a holistic view on tech transfer is one thing moving forward that would be great. And then kind of on a more practical level in terms of tech transfer engagement, again, coming from more of a development perspective and and background, I think tech transfer offices working with their institution's development office and kind of learning a bit of what they do and and just kind of old-fashioned networking and uh, stewardship, um, I think, can go a long way in this environment. so, so guaranteed the development offices are trying to figure out exactly the same thing. How do we engage with our stakeholders? How do we engage with our network virtually? Um, so there's no point in, it's, it's all very similar. Um, there's no point in, in the offices reinventing the wheel separately. So I would encourage tech transfer offices and development offices and public affairs offices to work on these problems together. And the kind of the base, the people base that the that these individual officers want to talk to are very overlapping. So I, I sometimes find that, you know, these conversations are so segued in an institution, especially in larger institutions, um, and they shouldn't be. Um, it should really be an institutional effort to, to push this kind of thing forward. I love that. And I really appreciated how you said taking a holistic view um, that immediately helped me completely visualize what you were referring to. Um, And this has been an absolutely wonderful conversation, Kat. I want to thank you for your time and your um, insights into all of this. And I have one final question for you, Uh, maybe slightly redundant given some of the Uh, information you've already provided, but just kind of diving a little bit deeper into what we were just talking about. Um, And Mm -hmm. what do you either believe or would love to see the evolution of program creations between all of, you know, from an institutional point of view look like post-COVID? I would like to see all of the, um, on an institutional point of view, all of the arms internally of an institution really strategically plan together and develop a longer term, you know, five, 10 year strategic plan, identify what the institution can leverage um, and what the institution needs. And with that, strategically build a network to answer 
to fill in those missing pieces um, and be able to leverage whatever your strengths are to, to really have impact. Um, because no institution can do everything. No institution is super strong in every aspect. So figuring out what are the pieces you need to add to bolster whatever it is you're really, really good at, that's the way to actually have an impact on the world. Um, and whether that be through academic collaborations, whether that be through industry collaborations or um, spinning something out or building a, an international consortia, but until you identify what your needs are and what your strengths are um, across the board, not within a single office, then you can't answer those questions. Well, I, for one, am extremely excited to kind of see that development occur and then really be able to see what is able to be created out of that, um, because that just sounds like there's going to be so much more brain power and resources that kind of pour into these different programs. And like you said at the beginning, uh, there's strength in numbers. So that sounds very exciting and very hopeful, especially in the field of, you know, medicine and healthcare and mm-hmm. what that, how that will impact our future. Um, so thank you so much, Kat. Um, this has been a wonderful conversation. I personally have just absolutely loved it. And I just want to say thank you again for both the work that you're doing and for taking the time to talk to me. Oh, thanks for having me. This was fun. Thank you for listening to the You Should Know This podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing or sending us a quick five-star review. New episodes come out weekly, and we're excited to have you join us as we continue to learn about the companies and individuals who are shaping our future.